0: Home of the Pens and the best Pens coverage WXDX
1: FM Pittsburgh and iHeart Radio Station
2: Matt Merck's Plumbing giving you the 5 o'clock hour of the Mark Madden show in part count on a name you can trust Matt Mertz Plumbing a couple of important details I left out of the pornographic ice dancer story from Canada number one her shirt was completely backless the dress nothing left the imagination there secondly her name was Tessa Virtue she's even got a poor name like i could see that in my mind's eye in bright lights on blush right now now starring triple x star canadian ice dancing queen tessa virtue or tessa virtue all right, 5 o'clock out on the Mark Madden Show. Uh, we spent a lot of time, if you're just getting your car right now and you haven't heard our discussion today, since Sidney Crosby finally, finally got his 400th goal. I would have given an Esteban Loaiza drug kingpin ransom for him to get off this goal-scoring schneid, and he finally did. Not only getting goal number 400, but also getting goal number 401 on an empty net. Um, I put forth the notion, I did this online too on Twitter, uh, let's project a little bit, and the distance in votes here has gotten greater and greater as the show has gone along, but I ask the question, now that Sidney Crosby has 400, can we start putting into some sort of statistical frame of reference what it would take for us as Penguins fans to ever acknowledge that Sidney Crosby was as good on ice, on ice only, not the whole save the team thing, although he kind of did that, but on ice only, Sidney Crosby, could he ever be as good as Mario Lemieux? Yes or no? 412-333-WXDX. And, and here's the number projection that I laid out. You know, I carried the one and did some long division best as humanly possible. But it, if you, and this, these are my math skills, so take that, take this with a grain of salt here, but six more years on his average point production total for Sidney Crosby. That gets him to about 600 goals. Mario had 690. That gets him to about 1500 points. Mario had a little over 1700. If Sid were to get those point totals, six hundred goals, fifteen hundred points, another cup, maybe two, another Conn Smythe, would that be enough for you to say his on ice greatness exceeded Mario Lemieux's? So far, forty six percent of you said yes, fifty four percent of you said no. Eighty seven will never be sixty six. That was pacing 50-50 for a long time during the course of the show, and it seems like the Mario voters have taken over more and more as the show has gone along. You can vote at Tim Benz PGH. In fact, tell you what, I'll just retweet it right now. Um, So it's fresh on my feed here. There you go. Just retweet it. And you can call in at 412-333-9939. But my premise is this. You have to consider in your mind that adding one or two more championships has to equate for the differential in point production of 200 points and another 100 goals. Especially when you consider the difficulty with which you have right now to score in the National Hockey League versus the start of Mario's campaign with the Penguins. Those who disagree with me have already said, though, that Sid has played with better players longer than Mario, particularly early in his career. That's true. But by the end, Mario played with some pretty good guys, particularly at the height of his powers. You can't say that, you know, look at Mario, he had the back, he had cancer without taking into account Sid had the concussions and vice versa. So those kind of cancel out to a degree. And then you can also factor in when you're making this analysis, and a lot of people have, how they would do in each other's era. And we talked to Mike Lang about that, and he said, well, Sid is kind of, he equates Sid in a lot of ways to Joe Sackick. And Joe Sackick was an excellent player in the middle to three-quarters part of Mario's era. So maybe Sid could could have thrived more in Mario's era beyond what Mario did in his own era applying it nowadays, especially when you consider easier shot blocking for defensemen goalie pads. We even had the two-line conversation, two-line pass conversation thrown out there. I would say that if, by these qualifications, which are immensely lofty for me to heap on Sidney Crosby's back, and for him to do this until the age of 36, and if it's all done in a penguin uniform, oh, by the way, yes. I would say that that level of on-ice accomplishment was greater than Mario's, but I'm leaving out one thing, and that one thing is the look test. The aesthetics. You know, the majesty with which Mario played the game as opposed to the workmanlike grinders mentality that so many of Sid's 400 goals have been applied to to get this far up the statistical ladder. So those are my thoughts. Here are the reactions from some other guys who have talked about it. You're going to hear from Mark in his entirety. Mark was on my podcast today on Trib Live, as he always is, on Mondays. So we're going to play that whole thing back for you in the 5 o'clock hour. But this is what he said on this topic.
0: Honestly, Tim, I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can craft the top three, uh, my all-time top NHL three anyway, of Lemieux or Ngretzky. I just think those guys are above and beyond. I do think Sid is arguably number four, five, or six of all time right now. But with hockey being so different, there's no way for him to explode for the stats necessary to climb anywhere close to Lemieux in terms of per-game production. And no way to match the memories, the explosiveness, the highlight real stuff that, you know, Mario compiled when he was the, you know, six foot four shake and bake guy. Uh, You know, before he had the back problems, before he became more of a thinking man's player and a pure finisher, uh, of course. But uh, I I don't think it can be done. Now, there were those who would argue that if Sid won two more cups, that uh, then he would surpass Mario at some level. And I'm willing to watch Sid win two more Cups, Tim, and see if what we all think at that point. But uh, I don't think Sid can catch Mary.
2: Okay, that was Mark. Earlier today, I hear that interview in its entirety coming up before the top of the hour. And then, this is what Jonathan Bambouli had to offer. I mean, I could construct
3: a definition for better on ice, um, under which you could say right now Sidney Crosby, you know, is a better player. In terms of a 200-foot, you know, two-way, every-zone game, um, Crosby's defensive play, you know, given how much he scores, I mean, you're, you're looking at one of the greatest all around players to ever play the game, maybe the greatest all around player to ever play the game. Um, so you could, if you took a very narrow definition, maybe you could do that, but just in terms of who was the greater hockey player. No, I don't think, I don't think Sid will ever touch Mario.
2: All right. So those are our thoughts. What are yours? 412-333-9939. Let's go to Tony. Who's calling from Clinton. Hi, Tony. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Hey,
3: uh, it's good. Did you notice they played Donnie Iris in the arena during that game yesterday? Uh,
2: they're in St. Louis? Yes, they did. Well, it's not a rule. He it's not like he has to only be played in Pittsburgh. He's allowed to be played elsewhere. <laughs> I didn't know that. They, I didn't
3: know he reached that far. That far. Well, well, I, was, I mean, I was Donnie surprised Iris surprised during yeah, door, during a Pittsburgh game. I was surprised they played it in in that area. Jesus,
2: you could probably still hear Rusted Root in St. Louis if you wanted to.
3: <laughs> I was just shocked. Uh I thought it
2: was cool. Uh, I don't think they make the connection that most other people do, like Donnie Iris' is banned during games that the Penguins play. I don't think they take <laughs> it that far.
3: I, I thought it was awesome. They played it during a Pittsburgh game. What
2: all about right. Sid and Mario and real cool. quick?
3: Uh, Sid and Mario, well, I, you know what? I don't think uh, Mario would mind at all because Mario groomed him to be.
2: Oh, it's not a mind. I'm not saying like we need Mario's permission to talk about it. I mean, it hasn't gotten to that degree where I needed to ask first, did I? No, no. Oh, okay. All it's right, just, good.
3: I'm just I'm just saying, I mean, he he groomed and groomed him to be one of the best. So, I don't I guess like the other man said, I think his all-around play, like his defensive play and everything and his skills are are awesome. But
2: I- Well, they are. Um, you know, and that doesn't get people to remember you as much as points and glamorous goals, but it is something that needs to be brought in the equation. Jake Cullen from his car. Hi, Jake. Good, Jake.
3: Hey, so, uh, you kind of touched on this earlier. I think the voting also shows this. I think a lot of younger guys are going to say Crosby can, if not, is already there. Uh, but I, I, I think the older guys are going to go with uh, Lemieux, Um and I do think the voting shows cuz the younger guys were home from school and it was 50-50 and now the older guys are getting home from work and they're voting they're voting Lemieux. That's you know funny. what, if
2: I did this if he got to those numbers and I did this poll 6 years from now, you know, going on the curve that I laid out there, I bet you it's uh 54-46 the other way. Because I don't know if I'll make it that long. I don't know about you, but Virgil calling from the hill. If I watch any more Canadian ice dancing, I might have a heart attack before then. Let's go to Virgil in the Hill District. Hi, Virgil.
1: Hi, Tim. How are you?
2: Great. So
1: if you look at, like, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame and how pitchers were, how 300 wins was kind of the, the benchmark to get you in. Well, now they don't even talk about wins because it's a useless stat. I'm not saying points and goals are useless, but if anyone goes back and watches the first five to seven years of Lemieux's career, how, how the defense is played and how the goalies, some of the goalies, there was probably 15 goalies in the NHL then that were awful, and their pads were, weren't as big. I think Mario's going to always have the upper hand because he saved the hockey team here. But I'm sorry. With how much closer checking teams are in this day and age, already for me, if Sid doesn't play another game, he's, he's out past Mario because he's smaller. He's not just a goal-only first guy. And, and that's, just, that's what I see. He's the best grinder, and he hates being called that the NHL has ever and will ever see.
2: Yeah, you know, the whole height-size thing, and thanks for the call, Virgil. And boy, I hope we never get to the point where we start going back. Like He was talking about 300 wins there for baseball pitchers. Like, I hope we never get to the point where we adjust our view of hockey players. Like, you know, you add war. You could look at, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame and see what, like... Joe DiMaggio's war was. Like, they never talked about war back then, but it could be adjusted now. Like, I don't want to ever talk about what Mario's Corsi was versus Sid's and, and like parse it down to that degree. Um but to the point that he was making about Sid and his height versus Mario and his size, I could and maybe this is my Napoleon complex let me rephrase. This is my Napoleon complex kicking in. Uh, I, I never want to be penalized. Based on you're too small to be that good and have that applied to Sid, like he was talking about there, because he's. But I also don't want to give him more points for it. Like, this is the old boxing analogy or the old basketball analogy. Give me the good big guy over the good small guy any day. And I think aesthetically, when we talk about this discussion, that's why it comes down to Mario so often is that he did everything that he did and he could do it with that size and that reach. 412 333 9939. Tweet me at Tim Bens, PGH. Um, another follow-up on that thought defensively about the Steelers from the Art Rooney II quotes that we were discussing earlier. Uh, that was my column in the Trib today. You can get that at Trib Live. We'll discuss when we come back. And at some point, uh, we will hear from Mark Madden too at 5.35, but at some point, i got to get to the story about the Lions that turned on the poacher. It's magnificent. Coming up before we're done at 6, Tim Benson for Mark Madden.
1: Now the super genius Mark Madden. Mark,
0: big fan, big fan. Good show. Like the uh, entertainment. There'd be candy bars, lollipops, and the occasional nickel.
1: DX at
2: 105.9. Final hour with Mark Madden. Sure, gonna hear from Mark in just a little bit. Tim Ben's in for Mark. Got a bunch of people that still want to talk about the Lemieux Crosby angle that we've been investigating throughout the course of the day. Uh, quickly, since we got one maybe two lines open here, um, I wanted to bring up the. Uh, other stats that I never got to about the Steelers' defense just in the wake of the column that I wrote today about Armour Rudy II's comments surrounding the Steelers' defense where he said, uh, more or less, hey, it's really tough to play defense. Just look at the playoffs last year. And my response to that was, well, if you look at the playoffs, yes, the Super Bowl, there was a lot of scoring. In a lot of playoff games, there were a lot of scoring. Philadelphia only gave up 17 points in the NFC playoffs. The Patriots gave up one touchdown of consequence against the Titans and two field goals in the second half against Jacksonville. So, There was more defense being played in the postseason than maybe what Art II was suggesting. Even though Pittsburgh finished in the top ten when it comes to overall yardage allowed, uh, stopping the run, the pass, and opposing points totals, the stats suggest the unit is better than what it was. Because per attempt, they were 27th against the run and 23rd against the pass. And I gave you the 25.8 points per game that they allowed during the last seven games. That's six regular season and the Jacksonville game. No, not counting the uh, fumble return for a touchdown. They were burger allowed. I took that off the board. It was still like 25.8, which I believe would have put them at second or third worst in the National Football League in terms of points allowed per game. So, to be honest with you, the numbers don't necessarily reflect the level of defense that was played throughout the season overall from the Steelers towards the end, nor is it just as easy to say, well, there's not a lot of defense being played anymore, and we do it better than everybody else, or most everybody else even. Um, At least Rooney allowed that improvements and additions need to be made, yes, but I also think they got to figure out what they are on defense, particularly at the outside linebacker position. You know, they only had 17 sacks from outside linebackers. Previous low in the post-Chuck Noll era, 19 so even though they had 56 sacks this year, only 17 came from the outside linebackers. Who are these guys anymore? Are they drop-and-cover guys? Are they pass-rush guys? Are the defensive linemen two-gap run-stuffers? Are they up-the-field guys? I just, I think they're confused in their own front seven. Let's go to Johnny, who's calling from his car. Go ahead, Johnny. You're on 105.9 The X.
1: Hi, Tim. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to weigh in on the Sid versus Mario theory. Um I was I'm a Gen Xer. I was a young man in the early nineties and I was a Mario guy. But uh these days I'm convinced that Sid is better just because of the two way player. I love Sid's defense. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, this season ain't over. We wanted to change a few more people's minds to sway towards Sid. Let's see if we can string together a three-peat or maybe a four-peat. Well, yeah,
2: a three-peat is something very easy would... to identify. You know, if, Like I said before, it's one or two more cups we're talking about in the length of his career. You do it consecutively as a three-peat, that stands out a little bit more. And the point about the two-way play is this. Uh, not only is it something that he does better, as Jonathan Bambouli was suggesting, than Mario did during points in his career, but also it's more important now. It's measured more and leaned on more and just more important with the way the game is to be that good defensively as a centerman. Brad's calling from Orlando. Go ahead, Brad.
3: Yes, I have a question about um, Sid and Lemieux. Um,
2: Who do you consider better between Lemieux and Gretzky? Gretzky played for the Penguins? I missed that.
3: No, 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 no. I'm getting to a point. Um, (laughs) Okay. I cannot ever consider uh, Sid being better than... um,
2: Mario, because we don't say that Gretzky's better than Mario, right?
3: Well, I I always say uh, Lemieux is better than Gretzky. I cannot say Sid is better than Gretzky, whatever way he would do. Well,
2: you know, the argument in and of itself isn't all that different, because if we're talking about cup accomplishments, it's Gretzky. If we're talking about statistical accomplishments, obviously it's Gretzky. And if we're evening out the stats, um, in theory, then we're taking something away from Mario. But... The fans of Lemieux will always say, the fans of Lemieux, when it comes to the Gretzky debate, or in this case, the Sid debate, simply come back to, Mario could do things neither of those of those two players could do because of his physical stature. And the time lost due to injury, and the players he didn't have versus the players that Gretzky did. So I, I don't think the arguments are all that dissimilar when we bring up 87 or 99 compared to 66. You'll have know, Mark talk about this. week. come back and more on the Pens, the Steelers, too. Mark Madden up next on his own show here on 105.9 The X.
1: And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're
3: kidding me. That's
1: ridiculous. You know
0: what? I'm going to skip right to my original thought and just say this is stupid. You're stupid. Thanks
1: for calling. The X at 105. Unbelievable performance. This crowd is going wild. They're on their feet. I never thought I'd see it with my own eyes. The In Montreal.
2: If you cut my head off, I swear to God. You know, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer are pretty good, but they're no Jimmy McElroy or Chaz Michael Michaels. That much is clear. I can't believe her friggin' name is Tessa Virtue. I mean, you're with me on this, right? It's absolutely the next feature act at Blush. And they will, oh, I guarantee you, Romy Reign... Abigail Mack, somebody will be performing Tessa Virtue's role with Kieran Lee in a Pornhub video near you sometime soon. Now, again, I retweeted it. Bob just put a gif up of the move. I don't think it's that bad, but I guess for the Olympic community, those that would be offended by things like this in ice dancing or turned on, well, I I could see how they might get a little titillated, so to speak. Right, I had a chance to catch up with Mark Madden here on the Mark Madden show. Actually, before the show even began, Mark and I always do a podcast. As you know, uh, you can now read Mark at Trib Live. You can read me at Trib Live as well. We do a podcast every Monday. It's our Madden Monday podcast. and This is what Mark and I discussed today. First and foremost, talking about the Pens and Sidney Crosby's 400th goal. When, if ever... What would it take between now and Sid's retirement for you, a huge Mario Lemieux fan, to ever allow Sid to pass Mario on the ice? I'm not talking about off-the-ice accomplishments, strictly on the ice.
0: Honestly, Tim, I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can crowd the top three, uh, my all-time top NHL three anyway, of Lemieux or Ngretzky. I just think those guys are above and beyond. I do think Sid is arguably... Number four, five, or six of all time right now. But with hockey being so different, there's no way for him to explode for the stats necessary to climb anywhere close to LaVue in terms of per game production. And no way to match the memories, the explosiveness, the highlight real stuff that, you know, Mario compiled when he was the, you know, six foot four shake and bake guy. Uh, you know, before he had the back problems before he became more of a thinking man's player and a pure finisher, uh, of course. But uh, I I don't think it can be done. Now, there were those who would argue that if Sid won two more cups, that uh, then he would surpass Mario at some level. And I'm willing to watch Sid win two more cups, Tim, and see what we all think at that point. But uh, I don't think Sid can catch Mario.
2: Yeah, and the goal, it was kind of funny, wasn't it, Mark? Because two games ago, or sorry, two nights ago, Sid had a chance to bury goal number 400 with a dramatic, typical Sidney Crosby improvisational, thinking one step ahead, shot between the legs opportunity, and it didn't happen. And then he gets 400 in such a typical Sid way, which was be near the post and bang it in.
0: Yeah, Sid... Has never been about how. He's been more about how many, whereas Mario was about how and how many. <laughs> Sid, Sid will cut your heart out. Mario would cut your heart out, show you you're still beating heart, shove it back in your chest, and club you over the head for good measure.
2: Like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber.
0: Exactamundo. The the flash level, the eye test level of Mario, it, it's just, that's where Sid just can't catch him.
2: Yeah, because Sid will never be 6'4". Sid's always going to be 5'11", but to a certain degree, I've loved the nature of Sid being able to... I've heard you use the phrase, and I've agreed with it 100% over the years, being the king of all grinders. He has that power-forwards mentality in a skilled player's body, and you usually hear that euphemism turn the other way, do you not?
0: Uh Yeah, no question. Uh, he is what he is. It's great... Uh, I always get arguments over whether he's better than Gordie Howe. Uh, I, I think he is. Uh, Gordie Howe just elbowed people in the face and knocked in 10-foot shots. And he did it for a long time and compiled unbelievable numbers. I, I will say, though, Gordie and Sid are at the same level. There's a lot of guys who have these huge numbers, like a Yarmir Yager or a Mark Messier or a Ronnie Francis. And I certainly don't mean to detract from their careers, which were impressive, but uh, a lot of that was due to longevity as much as, if not more, than anything else.
2: What would you make of these two games collectively, Mark, this weekend for the Penguins at large? On the road, the overtime shootout loss against Dallas, and then what took place against St. Louis on Sunday?
0: Well, the only thing I didn't like about the Dallas game was they were up 2 nothing, and they just didn't play the necessary proverbial good road game to put it away. 2 nothing if you're a good team, Even on the road against another good team, you should win that game. But they got a point out of it. And then at St. Louis today, I thought Matt Murray played one of his uh, better games. And and Murray's not lost in regulation since returning from bereavement leave. Uh, I thought, you know, what was it, 33 saves, it says here, Murray made. So I thought he played well. I thought the Penguins played a better style road game today. The one thing frustrates me about the Penguins, Tim, and I've said this often, they never play score in situations. And that is at the coach's behest. The coach doesn't want to play scoring situation. He wants to play the same way all the time. And that sounds real good in theory until, uh, for example, uh, when they were playing that Capitals game, which they wound up winning 7-4, but it was a one-goal game late, and I recall Latang and Mata both down below the hash marks in the offensive zone. Uh, I'm a big believer in playing scoring situation. Mike Sullivan isn't. He's won two Stanley Cups. I have none. I can't argue with them. I still don't think it would hurt to do some of the time.
2: I want to expand on that thought progression, Mark, because that leads into the, as always, inevitable debate about the trade deadline that so many Penguin fans like to dwell on, even if it's Christmas time. But, you know, the popular name right now is Grabner from the Rangers since they want to sell everybody, right? So... Yeah, they don't need Grabner, period. Right, well, that's what I'm getting at, is that Grabner sort of fits into that mold, which is straightforward, lots of speed, maybe not the best hands in the world, but... Not really
0: a center, Tim.
2: Yeah, he skates, skates, skates. So, for all the people that want to see him in a Penguins uniform, I get the thinking, because he fits that mentality that you just pointed out, but does he make them better, really? And I I don't know that he does. Well, I mean, would you want to use him at center? I don't think they need him at wing, do you? No, because isn't that what Brian Rust already is?
0: Yeah, he's not a center by trade, Grabner. He has 21 goals this year. I think six of them are in the empty net. And now that Sid's on fire with the empty net, who needs Grabner?
2: Yeah, he can actually score when no one's in between the pipes. That's a nice touch.
0: Yeah, I think that... Uh, I, I think the Penguins might not make a deal for third-line center. I think they're very happy with the way Riley Shane's playing. And he's played real well lately. Had a nice goal today at St. Louis. And... uh I don't think they should give up a, say, Sherry or Sprong or Jari to get, like, a Pajot or a Latestu. I just don't think that's a high enough upgrade for the price paid. I just shouldn't go with Shane and then give, you know, Minnesota something token to bring Matt Cullen back as the fourth-line center, uh, which I think would help, by the way, but only as the fourth-line center. Uh, now, if you could trade some of the uh, – Resources i just talked about for a Derek Broussard, if Ottawa has a fire sale, then I'm all ears. But I will not trade one of the major assets I just mentioned unless it's a major upgraded center, which, again, Peugeot and Latestu some of the other names mentioned, would not be. And I think the Rangers won't want way too much for Grabner, mainly because, Tim, I hear they want way too much for everyone.
2: Mark Madden with us from 105.9 The X. Catch him daily, 3 until 6 in The X. I'll be in for Mark this week. Mark is on vacation, but joins us here, as always, on Trib Live. Mark, let's get to the Steelers here, and I'm writing in the Trib for Monday about Art Rooney and his comments about the Steelers' defense, which is, well, no, our defense wasn't good, but you know what? A lot of defenses aren't good these days. To me, that's not good enough of an explanation. How about you?
1: I
0: think Art met that as conversational and not analytical, but at any rate, he's totally wrong. Uh that defense was awful in that Jacksonville game. And I know Shazier wasn't available, but teams have injuries in football all the time.
2: Like Dante uh, Hightower at the same position in New England got to the Super Bowl anyway.
0: There you go. And uh with with the with the Steelers, I think the fact that they really changed their defensive coaching staff around indicates some dissatisfaction with the way things were being taught and indeed with the style of coach that they were hiring because, you know, they got rid of Carnell Lake, who just wasn't qualified to coach him, never was. Uh, his resume was lacking. And they bring in Tom Bradley, who's a career coach. Uh, I think they need to get rid of Joey Porter and bring in a career coach to work with the linebackers. Look at the guy they brought in to coach the defensive line. Uh, Dunbar from Alabama, he's a career coach. not the John Mitchell, you know, who's uh, getting kind of shoved to the side the way I see it. As the assistant head coach, not that he hasn't had a fine career here in Pittsburgh, but I think they're reconsidering what they're looking for in a coach. And as opposed to just mining the old boy network to make sure a Porter or a Lake or a Jerry Olsowski has a job, they're looking for actual coaches, especially on the defensive side of the ball.
2: Yeah. I look at what Art was saying and I kind of view it this way. Like, you know, let's draw an analogy to a different league like in the NBA you know the days of the Knicks and Pistons are long since dead but if you can play good defense in the NBA it behooves you to help you try to win a championship even though offense might be the thing and that's sort of how I view this like you know uh, the Eagles you know the Eagles were not good against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl they weren't they won it anyway and how do they get there because their defense was excellent in the NFC playoff games The Steelers' defense was not. The Patriots' defense allowed two touchdowns and a blowout win against the Tennessee Titans and only two field goals in the second half against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Sure, they got there primarily on offense, but give me at least a defense that's complimentary in that regard. Well, Tim, let me add
0: this. If the Steelers' defense is even a little better against Jacksonville, they make it to the AFC Final. Just a little bit better. Jets don't suck.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I, I know the offense contributed to at least two of those scores against the Jaguars, but still, it's 30-plus against the Jaguars with Blake Bortles. Let's not lose sight of that.
0: Well, Tim, I just hate football, and, and stuff happens all the time to make me hate it even more. For example, Juju Smith-Schuster was on Twitter today, and he asked fans to, to name the favorite moment of his career so far. He's been in the league for 15 minutes. And he's asking fans to name the famous moment of his career. Uh, for the record, I voted for him having three catches for five yards against Jacksonville in the playoffs. <laughs> Definitely my favorite moment. And, Tim, have I ever been more right than when I said, very early in Juju's rookie year, this kid's cute now, He'll be a raging douchebag ere long. Oh no, and I've I've always can, been with
2: you on that. I've always Air been. Ere
0: long is upon us.
2: <laughs> I've always been with you on that because I'm around him a lot in that locker room, and what the what the masses don't see is how he is until the very millisecond before the cameras turn on.
0: Uh, I imagine it's absolute douchebaggery. And another thing that makes me hate football: Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles did an interview where he said. The Patriots are a fear-based team. We have fun. Oh, really? You won one Super Bowl and now you're the expert on winning? Oh, give me that oh, well, right Oh, well, thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for shining a beacon on, on why the team that's won five Super Bowls should somehow pale in comparison to your team, which just won its first and not by a huge margin over the team that won five. Who told these guys they should talk like they know what they're talking about? For the love of
2: God, Tim. Finally, Mark, uh, we brought this up briefly when we were talking about coaching and coaching changes. What are your impressions of Tom Bradley being brought in as the secondary coach, particularly with the Penn State thing hanging out there?
0: Well, here is the thing, Tim. And and I I said this on my show, and it doesn't just apply to Tom. Tom's a friend of mine. So I'm not going to talk about the Penn State stuff at all, except for very token mention. Uh, and anybody who, who, there are a lot of guys in the media who are going to be that way with Tom, but are going to lie about why. Now, I also think that enough times pass where it just doesn't matter. Tom was in a position of non-administration, non-authority, non-ability to do anything about that, even if he did know about it, which I think, Tim, everybody up there knew, every man, woman, and child knew to some degree, at least heard the whispers, you know? But but, but, Joe Paterno was the guy in charge,
2: not only Eric in charge, was, not only in charge, Mark, but more in charge than those who employed him, and that's the rub. That's well, right. the difference
0: and, and, and Joe left an email trail suggesting that he knew and and we have no idea what Tom Bradley did or didn't know, And, like I said, that's a long time ago. Heck of a guy, heck of a coach, heck of a teacher, heck of an outlook. I think he could be a great sounding board for Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator. I have no problem whatsoever with the hire. None at all.
2: Yeah, I'm not... Look, I like Tom. I did the post-game show with Tom a couple years ago.
0: Uh, He was a regular guest on my program a couple years ago as well. Yeah. A a, a weekly type thing.
2: Even before I went to Boston, like Tom and I were doing the post-game show together. So, I mean, I'm prone to be in his corner. I still think, like many people up there, as you just alluded to, yeah, Tom probably could have done more but with that being Tim, said... I'm not even going to say that. The only thing I'm going to go so far as
0: to say is Tom probably heard some whispers. That That's the only thing I could say with, uh, I think, certainty.
2: Okay, even between the two of us and our opinions there, my grander question is, is he never allowed to work again? Well,
0: right, right. Should his life be shut down totally because he may or may not have heard some whispers? And I say no.
2: Yeah, and I'm with you because to the earlier premise of the discussion... Was he ever in power enough to make that kind of decision? And the evidence suggests he was not.
0: No, no question. So to me, this is a non-issue. And there are going to be X amount of people who talk about it. But Tim, I'll tell you where the I heard the B team talk about it at length one day. I think they may be the extent of people who talk about it. I don't expect either paper to talk about it Do you.
2: Uh, no, I don't. The, the
0: Post Gazette. Uh, I'm going to write a column saying exactly what we've said here that what's, what's in the past is in the past he wasn't a position of power he's a great coach and, and again to reiterate your life should not be shut down just because you were in proximity to something horrific
2: mark enjoy the beacon we'll talk to you again next week
0: well tim if i don't enjoy it it'll be nobody's fault but mine
2: You can hear that podcast in its entirety at Trip Live. We'll check on the mark again later on in the week. And uh, make sure you are listening tomorrow as we get ready for the pregame show before the Penguins play against the Ottawa Senators. Kings on Thursday from Buford's. When we come back, score one for the animals. Animal revenge on poachers next.
1: And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. A lot of
0: funny stuff has no taste, like, for example, this show. Double it, just wanted to say how funny that was. Now I'm going
1: to cut you off before you can make a
3: joke.
0: The X at
2: 105.9. The lion sleeps tonight because his belly is full. Police in South Africa said Monday that a suspected poacher... ...was mauled and eaten by a pack of lions at Kruger National Park over the weekend. Not a random victim, an evil poacher doing it illegally. Very little remained of the victim's body when it was found at a private game park... ...in the northern province of Limpopo, where poaching had taken place in recent years. It seems the victim was poaching in the game park when he was attacked and killed by the lions. They ate his body, nearly all of it and only left his head and some remains, said Limpopo police spokesperson, something Gope, like, you know, N'Gope that used to play for the pirates. A loaded hunting rifle was found near the victim's body. He was not identified. Maybe because he couldn't be. Several lions were found last year poisoned near a farm in the same province with their heads and paws sawed off. In the words of Antonio Brown, after the Vontez Perfect hit from Juju Smith-Schuster, Karma! 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 If you think that makes me a bad person, I don't care. Score one for the animals. I'm in for Mark again tomorrow on 105.9 The X.